This morning, we're going to um, spend some more time in the book of Acts. It's the second last sermon um, in our series on Welcome to the Party, the party of the early church where God raised up through the Holy Spirit a group of disciples who began then the ministry of starting the party of the body of Christ. And this morning, um, we're going to spend some time thinking about... um, what crazy things sometimes happen at parties and specifically in the party of the church. Paul, again, is going to teach us some things about what amazing things happen when uh, the Spirit moves in the party of the church. As we uh, dig into God's Word, let's pray together. Father, meet us. Speak to us. Be an encouragement to us this morning. I pray for those folks who are here Um, who are seeking a word from you, a word of comfort, encouragement, hope, support, love, grace. Lord, whatever that is, I pray that you, you speak to our hearts and move us through the power of your spirit to come to a deeper understanding of just how much you love us. Pray, Father, that you speak to the heart of those who um, come here with fear and doubt, brokenness, hurt. They're a second away from tears. Lord, be an encouragement to them. Give them your love and grace. And those who come here with joy, Lord, meet us in that joy that we might have it multiplied in our lives through your spirit. And through the power of your word, that joy then may be fuel to go and love the people in the world around us so that they might see you. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus and God's people said together. Amen. So, Question to begin with this morning is, what do you think about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit? How many of you um, have the gift of speaking in tongues? Anyone? One back here. Great. God be praised. How many of you think you have the gift of prophecy? How many of you think you have the gift of healing? How many of you think you have the gift of resurrection from the dead? So, do we think that the spirit, the supernatural spiritual gifts still exist? Raise your hands if you believe that. Interesting that we believe that they exist, and yet, how much manifestation in our community, right? Begs a question. What's going on here? I know that I have at least one, I think I have two supernatural spiritual gifts. I know I have the gift of prophecy, and I also believe that I have the gift of healing. Um, And I'm not going to go into those this morning. There's plenty to talk about when we think about the spiritual gifts. But as I've seen God at work in my life and in my ministry, I've seen those two spiritual gifts manifest themselves, not because of my ability or my power, but because God has just chosen to manifest them in some way at different times. But in the church this morning that we're going to read about, the spiritual gifts, the supernatural spiritual gifts, and there's plenty of other spiritual gifts, but when we think about the supernatural ones, we think about the extraordinary ones like speaking in tongues, healings, prophecy, raising from the dead. When, when we're going to see those shown in the Word of God, and as we see them shown, we're going to ask the question, why did they come? Why did it happen? Why is it that... We see them here, and yet, as we've seen this morning, 
we're not seeing them necessarily in at least this community, perhaps others, but maybe not this community. We're going to ask some of those questions this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, Acts 19, beginning at verse 1. We're going to begin by reading the first seven verses. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So we start with Paul meeting a group of people who um, know who Jesus is. They've heard the story. They acknowledge even that Jesus has come so that their life might be transformed. And they acknowledge that enough to participate in baptism. And they said, yes, we trust in Christ. But the challenge was that this group of people were facing, the 12 that we hear numbered here this morning, is that they weren't given a level of full understanding of what it is that this Jesus was all about. They didn't fully get what the good news of the gospel is. And because of that, they weren't engaged fully and completely in who God truly was to them. He meets a group of, group of folks who know something, but they have not heard the whole story. They haven't even heard. You see this in verse 2. They said, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So someone had come, and perhaps it was like this. Somebody came into their town and said, you won't believe what's happening in Jerusalem. It's this amazing thing, this amazing thing where, where this man who, who said a lot of things and he said so many things that he ticked some people off. He ticked off the religious rulers and, and the religious rulers went to the Romans, the people in charge, and they said, we need to get rid of this guy. And finally, after a whole bunch of stuff, the Romans said, okay, we'll help you get rid of him. And they killed him. And it was on Passover. And we were there because when you... Passover comes. We said when we got to Passover and we were talking about it, a lot of people come into town. Maybe this group of people came into town for Passover. And they said, but all of a sudden he rose again from the dead. We heard the story. All these people were around telling us that the tomb was empty and Jesus was raised. But then we left because they were there for the Passover and then they went back to where they came from. Well, we know what happened 50 days after the resurrection, don't we? What happened? What happened? Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So if they left early, they missed it. They couldn't even hear about the Holy Spirit. So they were going back, telling only a partial truth of the gospel. And that leads me to a question. How many people do you know who know a partial truth about the gospel? How many people do you know in your workplace? How many people do you know in your family? They say things like, oh yeah, you know, we, we, we've heard about God. He just tells everybody to be good. 
Okay? Has anyone ever heard that? He tells everyone, don't commit adultery. They, he tells everyone, and especially in this day and age, don't be gay. Don't be transgendered. Don't be any of these things. They've heard a portion. They've heard a slant. They've heard an idea about the gospel. But they haven't heard the full story of who Christ is. About who the Holy Spirit is. And frankly, when we hear a partial story, it becomes really easy to reject, doesn't it? And I wonder how many people that you think you know in your lives who you think have rejected the gospel when in fact they haven't rejected the gospel. They've rejected only the part they've heard. And maybe, just maybe, you're their Paul. You're the person who God has called to then come into their lives and say, but haven't you heard about the Holy Spirit? Haven't you heard about the love and the grace of Christ? Haven't you heard about God's transforming power to give hope for your life, not just in heaven, but right now? Is there that person in your life that you have to be a part or you can be a part of completing the story of the gospel? Because what might happen when you tell it to them? Maybe it goes like this. On hearing this, the truth, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the work that God has ahead for you. Let's continue. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. He spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe. They publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, took the disciples with him, had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So you notice there's this progression. Paul begins by going to the synagogue. Who attends the synagogue? Jews attend the synagogue. So it's obvious that that would be the place that if Paul wanted to speak to the Jews, he'd go to the synagogue. And he spent a good amount of time there. This was not one of those things where he walked in for a day, said some stuff to everybody, and then they all said, nah, we want nothing to do with that, and then he walked out. We know he spent three months seeking to teach the Jews an understanding of who Christ was. He was willing to stick it through. How many of you have been rejected once by somebody sharing the gospel and have said, I'm not going to do that again? Anybody? It happens quick, doesn't it? We say, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, I don't want to hear that Jesus stuff. Let me share with you what I've learned from the Bible. Oh, I don't want to learn about that Bible stuff. It's too condemning. It's too, it's too limiting. It's too legalistic. Whatever. Paul's there for three months. That's the encouragement then to us to stick with it. 
You never know how God might move. And I'm not saying this to you because I want you to go and I want you to take this thing along with you to work or your classroom or your neighborhood over to your friend's house. And I want you to, I don't want you to knock on the door so that they open the door and then you go like this, slap. I don't want that. That's not the purpose here. It's not the purpose for us to go out and slamming the word world around us with the gospel, punching people in the face with Jesus. It's not our purpose. But our purpose is to be willing to, and listen to this, love someone enough not to give up on them so easily. Because God loves them enough not to give up on them so easily. So you teachers, this week, as you walk into the classroom, and that person who I heard this morning who had things go on on Friday, don't give up on those kids. Those kids who are going to make you nuts. Those kids, like when Kristen was teaching, that you go home to your spouse and go, I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Or that coworker that I can't believe what she said today. For us not to give up. Paul was in it for three months. We're going to find out that over time he spent two years during the work of professing the gospel because sometimes love takes time. How many of you married? How many of you saw that person was instantly in love? Instantly. Anybody? I'm going to say I was. I saw her, she walked in the room and it was like hubba hubba. I'm just saying But it doesn't happen very much. Love takes time to show its power. And for us to be intentional and wise, discerning, patient, and yet stubborn in a holy way, to not stop loving another, that we keep sharing the truth with them. That's God's call for us. See, that's what Paul does. He takes Christ's command, and that command comes from Matthew 28, verse 19. Go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He makes that commission, that command, a part of himself so much that he can't give up on another. He is going to be willing to do the hard work, the patient work of loving others with the gospel. Now, interesting note. What do you do with verses 11 and 12? Read those real quick to yourself. Does that sound a little bit like magic? Does it? Handkerchiefs, the shadows of himself, his cloak, all had power. Here's what I think. Here's why I think Paul had so much power to manifest the supernatural gift of the Spirit to heal. Turn in your Bibles really quickly to John chapter 14, verse 23. Somebody got it? Anybody got it? Melissa, stand up and read aloud. Father will love them, and they will come to them, and make our home with them. 
If anyone loves me, they will obey my command, Jesus says. And I too will love him and make my dwelling with him. Okay, so what's the command that Jesus gives from Matthew 28 verse 19? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is Paul doing in Acts chapter 19? He is going and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is doing what Jesus commanded. And in John 14, what does the word say about what Jesus wants for us to show him love? We do what he commands. And when he, we do what he commands, what does it say at the end there, Melissa? It says, I will make my dwelling with him. I will come and live with him. Paul wasn't manifesting the supernatural gifts of the Spirit because of who Paul was. Paul was manifesting the gifts of the Spirit because he loved Jesus enough to do what he commanded and God had made his dwelling with him so that the healing went out. Friends, if we want to experience the power of Christ, do what he says. Do what he says. Why? Because when you and I do what he says, it means we're showing that we love him. And if we love him, what does he do? He comes and lives in us. Here's my challenge. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked how many of us have supernatural spiritual gifts? Very few of you raised your hands. I want to just beg the question. Is it because we're not doing what Jesus is calling us to do? Is that maybe part of it? Because if we were doing and obedient to Christ's calling to grow in faith and understanding, to go out, preach the gospel, share the truth of Jesus Christ, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love, forgive, show grace, serve the poor, care for the widow, care for the orphan, all the commands. If we were to live into those things, would the supernatural gifts of the Spirit be present in a more different way? Challenging question, isn't it? And I wonder that for myself because we live in the most affluent culture in the world, friends. All of you almost are part of the 1%. It's, it's a little scary to think about. In terms of the global scale, all of us are part of the 1%. We don't need faith. We don't need faith to exist. I don't need to worry. I don't need to pray the Lord's Prayer and say, give us to stay our daily bread. I got a whole bunch of ciabatta right back in my refrigerator right now. Don't have to worry about it. Bread's right there. There's people all over the world who need to pray that prayer. I don't need that faith because of the affluence. And it's one of the challenges that we get confronted with when Jesus says, it is easier for a Rich, it is easier for a man to go through the eye of a needle than it is, or it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it challenges our faith to have so much. And yet God is calling us to obedience and the power that comes when we live into that changes everything. Quickly, and I know this has taken a while, but I think this is a really important message this morning. A friend of mine, Randy Bursma, did um, Katie and Cam's wedding two weeks ago. 
and it meant that we got to spend time with Randy. Randy and I went through seminary together. He's actually about five years older than I am, which was nice because that meant I was in seminary with a person who was a geezer older than I was. That was good. It made me feel good about myself. Um, but what, what is wonderful about spending time with Randy and because we had the rehearsal with Randy and then the wedding ceremony and the reception with him, I got to spend significant time with him and talk with him. Every time I talk with him, there's like this power that comes from this guy. He's a pastor at um, First CRC in Grand Rapids. It's actually Becca's parents' church, right? First CRC in Grand Rapids, he's their pastor. And he is a man who lives out the gospel. He's a man who lives in obedience to Christ. He navigates hard things. We were talking about some of the challenges that he faces in his ministry, challenges he faces in the church. And as I just sat with him, I felt this power, power of love, power of grace, the power of wholeness and health emanating from him. And Kristen or Cameron or Troy can tell you when we were at the ceremony, people came away from that ceremony saying it was one of the best, most Christ-centered ceremonies that we've ever been a part of, that we've ever seen, and people have been to a lot of weddings. And that has no small part to do with the fact that this is a guy who lives in obedience to Christ. He does what God calls him to do. And because he does what God calls him to do, that power goes out. People experience it. I experienced it just being around him. That's what doing what Christ says does. Gives us power. Not our own, but the spirit that, as John 14 says, makes its dwelling in us. Verse 13 through 16. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish high chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. Gave them such a beating They ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, here's the caution. God's power comes, friends, through us obeying him. John 14. He who loves me will obey what I command, and I too will love him and make my dwelling with him. God's power comes through obeying him. These men, in this part of the passage, want Power, but without the obedience. It's a huge commentary on some of Christian culture today. I think it's a huge commentary on the church. I think there are oftentimes we want Christ's power, we want Christ's spirit, we want God to come and transform the world that we live in, transform the culture that we are a part of, transform the political landscape that we live in, which is so complex and challenging and hurtful so often. We want to come, we want, we want to bring God's power and ask God to use us to bring his power to those places. But we do it, we seek that power oftentimes without being obedient. That's a challenge again. And again, I'm not saying to you 
That you need you need to get it right in order to earn God's love. That's not what I'm saying. Grace is sufficient. God's grace covers all of your mess ups, friends. Hear that this morning. But if we want to see the kingdom of God more deeply uh, alive in the world around us, then we have to listen to what Jesus says. We have to do what it is that he calls us to do. And as we do what it is that he calls us to do, his power, his presence shows itself in us, transforms us, and then speaks to the world around us. For me to hear that as your pastor, I can't ask God to change people's lives and do all these other things if I'm not doing what it is that Christ calls me to do. It's just that power. Yes, God can do it, and he is that sort of God. But if I want to live into that place where God's power is real, for me to be obedient, for me to live into that grace, and that's the ability of Jesus Christ's grace in our lives. It gives us the freedom then to say, okay, because you changed me so much through your grace, my life is transformed. I will then give thanks to you by living that out in the world around me. The fullness of the gospel is not about, though, God's power made manifest through us. The gospel is about God's loving, transforming grace inside of us then that equips us to go and live in the world. God's power moves us, makes me different, makes you different. And as it makes you different, the world around you changes. You can see it in the people that you interact with in your classroom, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family. Let's finish the passage, verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and it grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Now hear me here. Paul was so obedient to God's word that everyone, everyone in Asia, what does it say in in the word earlier? It says, let's see here. In verse 10, it says this, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Did you hear that? Paul lived into it enough that everyone in Asia, how many of you want that job? You have to go and tell everyone in Asia the gospel. How many, no one want to go? Because that includes China and India for sure, the two most populous countries in the world. That's at least two and a half billion people between the two of them. You don't want to go out and preach the gospel to two and a half billion people and make that your responsibility? Because Paul did. Now, it wasn't two and a half billion of people at the time. It was a much smaller number. But he was faithful to it. But then he got done. He had preached the gospel to everyone in Asia. 
So he said, okay, I'm done here. I got to find someplace else. And we wonder why God's power was made manifest in Paul. The guy was so obedient that he fulfilled his responsibility in a whole continent section of the world. And then he said, I'm done here with obedience to Christ in his great commission. Now, where is it that I'm supposed to go? All right, I'm supposed to go to Rome. Because the place of power. Guess how he's going to get there? In chains. Because God wanted the gospel there. And he was the one to to fulfill it. Friends, I want to throw this challenge out to you because Paul was living it. He was living it. And verses 13 through 16 show the foolishness of lukewarm faith. And the question that we need to ask is, what's our temperature? What's your temperature? How much am I consumed? And I'm just going to talk about me. How much am I consumed about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ going out into the world around me? How consumed are you about the classroom you're walking into for the first time this week that everyone there knows the gospel of Jesus Christ? Your workplace, your office, they've at least heard that Jesus through his life and his death, his resurrection offers them grace and wholeness and life. And he's given them the Holy Spirit that's going to live with them forever. How much fire does that burn within us? Because that's the truth of the world around us. How many of you want to see the world different than it is now? All of you should be putting up your hand. We need a different world And there's only one way that this world will ever be transformed. And that is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out and transforming hearts and lives. And you know where it begins? Me. Someone once asked the question, what is the problem with the world? And the answer, I'm not sure who it was. It was a famous theologian. I can't remember off the top of my head said, sir, I am. I'm the problem. I'm not hot enough. I'm not passionate enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not graceful enough. Now, please don't hear this. Don't hear this as a guilt thing where you have to walk out of this place and next week I'm going to ask you the question when you come in here, can you check the box that you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's not the point. But what is the point is that Christ, in Christ, we have everything. I don't care if you are a seventh grader starting school this week. Christ has given you everything in himself. I don't care if you are a retiree who for the first time don't have to teach this year. Christ has offered you everything. I don't care if you are everything in between and beyond. Christ has offered you everything. Are you Are you grateful for that? Because gratitude is the fuel. Thanksgiving says, then how do I respond to the gift of grace? And I'll tell you, you want to respond to the gift? Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my command. I too will love him and her and make my dwelling with them. 
Let's pray together. Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. You have given us so much. You have given us grace. You've given us life. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that is present with us. You have given us the body of Christ to encourage us, challenge us. You have given us so many different blessings. And Lord, may we be challenged as we receive and experience those blessings to wonder how we respond to that, those great gifts. Do we respond with gratitude? Do we respond with obedience? Do we repent of the things that are barriers? Maybe our, our addictions. Maybe our, our thoughts. Maybe our stubbornness. Maybe some of the things that we get distracted by. Gaming, crafts, traveling, family even. Our own kids can be distractions for us oftentimes from with our lives saying thank you to you with how we live and what we do. We pray, Father, that you remove those barriers from our eyes and from our lives in such a way that we might be able to be free, as Paul was, to be consumed by obedience to you. Not because it's what saves us, but because it's what equips us with your power in the world that desperately needs your hope, your love, and your presence. Pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, you go with us this week with a passion for your obedience, a passion to follow you, a passion to be a disciple who is intimately connected with you. And in that way, Lord, that we might then see your transformation in us and then in the world around us. Lord, we pray these things in Christ. Amen.